Uh, hey, kids, if you are wanting to go to class, you can do that now. And uh, the rest of you, I guess, are going to be here with me. So anyway, uh, really great to be with all of you this morning. Uh, for those of you who, uh, who don't know about our ministry in Mozambique, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Uh, today is all about Mozambique. I'm just recently back from there. Uh, I got to spend a little time in Mozambique a couple weeks ago. And uh, we have been ministering in Mozambique since 2006. Uh, the, the work there began incredibly with a prayer and five of us getting on an airplane and going to Mozambique and praying that God would lead us to connect with the right people once we were there. Uh, since then, uh, the work has grown to, uh, to include the creation of two orphanages. We'll be breaking ground on a third one before very long. Uh, a handful of small micro-businesses where we train people in various trades from uh, how to sew and make a living for themselves sewing, uh, how to raise animals, how to do uh, milling of corn or rice. And then uh, significantly, we have a theology school there training pastors, Mozambican pastors, to plant churches for the Mozambican people. Uh, Mozambique is uh, among the most unchurched nations in the world. It's the most unchurched nation in South Saharan Africa and, um, and also is, is one of the poorest nations in the world as well. So we count it a real privilege to be there. Uh, my purpose in being there this last time was specifically to be with the pastors. Uh, it was a teaching conference that we put on where we were trying to bring together all of our pastors as well as their wives and some other church leaders uh, for, for a, a movement that now has grown to more than 300 churches. So uh, this was, was super fun, just a, a wonderful thing uh, for us that we have gotten to be a part of, and, uh, and it was really great to be able to be there and spend some time with our pastors. So today, uh, today the plan is, I'm gonna kind of tell you the story of what happened while I was there, try to give you a little bit of a feel for it. I've got a little bit of uh, video from it as well, so you get a little uh, a little feel for what it's like there, and then give some lessons learned. So in particular, four different things I wanna share with you today, personal takeaways uh, that were really encouraging to me, but also I think have a lot of importance for us and what it means to be a good global partner uh, with our overseas brothers and sisters, uh, some of whom no doubt are online with us this morning or night for them, bon dia. Uh, and uh, so, I guess in essence, you could say this morning is going to be like part dad's slideshow and then, uh, and then part kind of sermon-esque. So anyway, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. All right, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll, we'll get into the story and into the scriptures. Uh, Father God, we give you thanks uh, for the immense privilege it is to be your sons and your daughters, to be adopted through Christ into your family. Uh, called for your purposes, called to be in relationship with you. And God, we give you thanks for the amazing journey that you've called our congregation to be on uh, and participating in your work that you are doing in Mozambique. Uh, God, we are continually humbled by it. And we give you thanks for the opportunity to spend our lives in ways that are so significant. God, we pray this morning as we worship, as we tell stories, as we come to the scriptures, as we receive communion together, we pray, God, that it would be your story that we are telling, that you would be glorified in this and that your people would be strengthened as a result. 
We give you thanks. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, let's just start you at the very beginning of this, yes? So uh, the week that I was leaving, Doug Lee drives me to the airport in the minivan because we needed the van because we had almost 400 pounds of stuff that we were taking. So nine bags full of audio Bibles for our pastors. We were bringing over 100 audio Bibles. Uh, we had some stuff for the Vianas as well. So, um, man, we were just praying that the luggage would check all the way through because I stopped like four times on the way there and I was so worried that at one of these they were going to say, oh, here's your luggage. And I was going to be wondering how I would get this on to the next thing. But uh, praise God, everything checked all the way through, which was great. Uh, one of the questions that I get most about these trips to Mozambique is how long does it take to get there? And the answer is a really long time. Uh, it is, it's about 24 hours in the air uh, in addition to whatever stops that you make. So typically you fly through Europe and Europe's the halfway point and then you keep going. I've, I've learned over time that I survive the journey itself best if, if I break it up. So uh, I've gotten into the habit of, stop, of flying overnight from the US and then stopping in Europe for the better part of a day because they're in more or less the same time zone as Mozambique and adjusting a bit and then flying overnight as well for the second part of the journey. So stopped in Frankfurt, throw a couple pictures of that up here for you. Uh, stopped in Frankfurt this trip which was really great. Got some local knowledge from Chris DeHui on what to see and do when I was there. So went into Old Town, had uh, pastry and coffee at a little outdoor cafe. It was lovely. Uh, chased around for a bit, saw the things. Uh, they have CrossFit there, so I even got a workout while I was there, which was lovely. And then uh, had, had the, uh, the town special sausage and apple wine before making my way back to the flight. So that was good times. Um, and then from there on to Ethiopia and, uh, and then Malawi and then uh, arrived Saturday afternoon in Bera. So I've got a picture here of, of John in the airport. John was there to, uh, to meet me as well as Boise who is, is just one of our key folks there and usually serves as translator. Uh, the Vianas were there as well so uh, they don't typically come into the airport. John negotiates all the things with customs and who we need to pay what to get the bags through and all that. Uh, but the Vianas were there and uh, got to spend the day with them. We've got a picture of the boys. Look at them. So for those who haven't seen them in a while, they're like becoming young men. It's really awesome. And it was great getting time with them and with Alex and Melanie, our missionaries there, if you don't know them personally. And, uh, and really just just having some good quality time with them was a highlight of the trip for me and hopefully for them. Encouragement from home really means a lot. It is really valuable to them. So glad to be able to, uh, to be there with them in that way. Uh, Sunday is when everything sort of hit. I got into Mozambique Saturday afternoon, slept a whole bunch, and then Sunday morning we kind of went for it. And uh, we have a church service there, uh, which was, was pretty big. So. You can see here, we've got all the pastors, uh, all their wives. You see some kids scattered kind of throughout here. Uh, in addition to everybody who came in for the conference, we have the, our main church is there at the Melanie Center in Barra. Uh, and then some people from the community came too. So all total is about 900 folks 
at that service. This, this tent you see here, they built specifically for the conference. And then uh, the place where I'm standing, uh, there's, uh, the, they built a stage on top of the baptismal, which I was really hoping would hold for the week, and it did. <laughs> That was, uh, that was a delight that that happened. And then you can't see it, but there's like an overflow area behind the folks in the picture. Um, it just kind of keeps going. But it was a wonderful service. A uh, lot of singing, a lot of dancing, which is a, a big part of worship in Mozambique. It's kind of a contrast to, uh, to us here. We're a little stuffier. Um, uh, I'll see. Next slide here. Or, uh, yeah, we can hold that one, Phil. So I got to... Um, I got to preach at the event, which was great. Actually, can we go back one? I think you can see Boise on my right. Uh, so if, if you uh, look to my right in the picture, uh, there's Boise translating. So uh, the way that typically these work is, is I'll say a couple lines in English, and I pause, and then the translator will go ahead and translate those. He was translating into Sina, which is one of the tribal languages there. And then Alex was translating into Portuguese. Alex has gotten amazing in his translation skills. And so that was mostly for me, though. He would, he would translate what was being said in Portuguese uh, when Portuguese was being spoken into regular English for me. Uh, but it was a, a beautiful service. I got to preach, which was fine. Uh, we invited folks to receive or to recommit themselves to Christ and had a really wonderful response in that, which was a, a huge blessing. Um, I'll point out, too, actually, uh, one more in that slide, if we could, Phil. Uh, so you might notice, so I'm wearing this particular garment in the picture, uh, which pastors often wear in Mozambique. It's called a suit. And uh, yeah, we, we don't often see that in these parts. But you know, I was thinking maybe just for fun, I could start wearing the garment here as well. And then I thought, no. And you know, also, they, uh, their church services, they are about between like five and six hours long. And, uh, and I thought, maybe we could start doing that here, too. And then I thought, well, no. So mixed both the suit and the, uh, the five-hour service. But um, all right, uh, next slide, if we could, Phil. Uh, so OK, now part of this, and, and there's kind of a purpose in all this, but uh, understand this service. They make a tremendous fuss over me while I'm there, which is, is super honoring. And it's super humbling. It's like the sweetest thing in the world, but it's also very embarrassing. I blush a lot. So you know, we've got this sign here. Uh, they've got hanging over the entrance that welcomes me, which is really sweet. We've got a shot with me and John and Maria. Uh, if you don't know them, Pastor John and Pastor Maria are our main folks over there who are, are leading all these churches, all this ministry. They're really phenomenal leaders. Uh, and, and they were just bursting with pride. So happy to have this thing happening. Uh, very happy to have me there with them. In entering the service, so uh, it, it's about a probably a 100, 100 meter walk from the Melanie Center over to where the church is. And they have this procession leading us of their children from the Melanie Center and then of their youth choir as well. And, uh, and if it works, we have a little video of the youth choir also. Oh, Phil, this is the uh, communion video. Um.
All right, so there's, uh, there's sort of a taste of what the music is like there. That's our, that's our youth group. That's the youth choir. And then you could see in the background, if you were watching carefully, a couple of the pastors breaking it down with them as well, which was fabulous. Um, so this, I want to show you another video of some of the singing. But uh, this is a little later in the service. But uh, this, this is the Welcome Pastor Tim song that, uh, that the children wrote. It's super cute. So here we go. How cute are they? So you see Alex comes up in, in, uh, in the song there and he's translating in my ear what they're saying. And, and, it, the, and it's a song they wrote. And it was like, welcome Pastor Tim. We're very happy that you're here, et cetera, et cetera. It was really sweet. We, we think you have a very distinguished forehead. That was, uh, that wasn't really part of it. But, um, and then part of this too is, is uh, in their culture, it's very important for them to give gifts. If there's a distinguished guest that's there, it's very important to give gifts. And so the churches would all come up by region and, and the churches collectively would bring gifts. So you saw in that last one, I, I was holding like a basket with some sugar cane, some fruits and vegetables. Um, we, uh, yeah, that basket. Uh, Capilana, which is, is the cloth garments that you see the, the women wearing. They uh, gave me a couple of those for my wife and my daughters. Um, this uh, next slide, you'll see there's some big bags of rice and corn behind Pastor John there. So they would come up and bring these, these huge bags of food. And, uh, uh, and let's see, next slide, uh, there are some other things as well. So, um, so the, the cup, which that incidentally is going to be our new communion cup here, and uh, some other kind of wooden things that they brought. So this is like a mortar and pestle. Uh, more bags of rice and corn. There's a lot of bowing. Uh, we don't do a lot of that here, so it's a little uncomfortable receiving bows from folks, but it's, it's all, all uh, part of how it happens. You're, you're probably wondering what happens to all these things, right? Do they go on the plane back with me? Are we going to be having rice and corn here? No. Uh, so wonderfully, part of the culture is it's, it's perfectly acceptable to re-gift. So you have to receive the gift. I mean, that's super, super important that you receive the gift, but it feels very awkward because they have very, very little. Uh, but you can re-gift. And so I can turn around and give these to the Melanie Center. And so the food they brought me ended up being part of the food that we used to feed all of these folks who came in all week. So uh, that, was, that was pretty awesome. Now, best gift was a live chicken. Check this out. Look at this. So they came and they brought me a live chicken, which I don't know how to hold a live chicken. I, I don't know about this. Uh, next slide. So here I am trying to control the live chicken. And then slide three, this is me trying not to hurt the chicken, which would be just a horrible, horrible vibe for the church service as if I accidentally killed the chicken. Um, so incidentally, this woman who handed me the chicken, this is Pastor Joanna. And uh, this has been a source of great joy for us, too. In addition to Pastor Maria, she's now our second female pastor who is ministering there. And so we're really excited about that. It's been a huge blessing. And I got to make a big fuss over her in front of everybody. And so that was, that was great. Um, OK, so uh, I want to show you another video. And, and in this one, you have to watch very carefully. After the chicken, they gave me a duck, and this is me awkwardly receiving a live duck. <laughs> so, 
Uh, so awesome. So this is how it went. So I got the chicken, and then I was given a duck. You just saw that, and I think we have a still picture of that as well. Uh, there we go. So there's me trying not to hurt the duck. And then they brought me a turkey. <laughs> Look at this. So again, I'm trying to hold the bird, and this one is like half my size. And I'm wondering if it's going to peck my eyes out as I'm smiling and receiving these. Uh, I was, was joking with Maria afterwards that the gifts kept getting bigger, and it went chicken, duck, turkey, and I told her I was afraid the next one was going to be a lion. But she thought that was great. Thankfully, uh, I wasn't. Now, one, one more here from the gift thing. So they came and they put one of the capolanas on me as well, which uh, I was like, okay, you know, I, I can roll with that. I'm securing my manhood. Uh, but I, there was this brief moment of terror where I was afraid they were going to compel me to dance with them. Uh, and I, I'm not sure, but I think it almost happened, but they, they kind of realized, okay, uh, this white boy is having trouble with the clapping. We're not going <laughs> to compel him to do the dancing as well, but it was close. I'm telling you, it was close. So, uh, so that, that was all part of the Sunday service, and, and it, was, it was just marvelous. I mean, just a blessing. I hope you get a little bit of a feel from it, just hearing some of the sounds, some of the sights from this. Uh, Monday through Thursday was sort of the actual conference with the pastors and with their wives and some of their leaders. So we've got a slide of this too. Uh, so uh, the crowd was smaller those days because uh, a lot of the folks who were there for church weren't there, but it was still a ton of people. I'm actually not sure how many. Um, but for, uh, for Monday through Thursday, I got to spend time teaching with them. Uh, which was super fun, uh, just talking about their spiritual lives as pastors, the importance of remaining connected to Jesus, what that looks like for them, uh, talking about integrity and how you lead, talking about servant leadership, talking a little bit about marriage and what, uh, what Christian marriage looks like. And that was, um, <laughs> that, that was pretty fun too. The women especially were very excited about that, the teaching on that. <laughs> The, uh, the men and women sit separately is kind of traditionally how they do it. And so anytime I would say anything about, you know, a, a Christian husband is somebody who serves their wife, who sacrifices for their wife, and the women would just erupt in cheers and be so excited. The, uh, the men would, they would clap faintly during those parts, but, um, but it, it was great. They were, they were so receptive. And, um, I, I've got some pictures just of some of the pastors and some of their wives as well. So just have a look at these guys. I mean, just, uh, just beautiful, beautiful people. Anyone you see in a suit is a pastor. That's kind of the uniform there. Uh, this is Boise. So he's been a key staff member for us, and he's now studying for the ministry as well. Uh, he, he actually, we're sending to seminary. He is exceptionally bright just a, a real intellect, and we're, um, we're sending him along to formal schooling, which is marvelous. Uh, this is some of our pastors uh, praying, being prayed for. Uh, this actually, this is Alex praying for one of our pastors and then a key leader in his church. Uh, it's, it's a longer story there, but this was a really beautiful moment. This is a pastor that we actually uh, had to remove from ministry at one point, and um, he made a wonderful turnaround. And there's this, this process of restoring for him, and this is Alex praying for him. It was very special, very beautiful. Uh, another one of our, our pastors, one of the older brothers. Uh, just a, 
beautiful, beautiful folks. These are a couple of our regional pastoral leaders. We're broken up by regions, and we have pastors over each of the regions that help administrate the work there. Uh, got pictures of some of the wives as well. And again, just, just beautiful people. Um, some of the younger women walking around with children strapped to their backs. Uh, and we have some older sisters as well, part of this. Uh, some, of, uh, some of the wives, some of the women. So just, they are, are just exceptionally beautiful people. Really, really a joy to be with them. Uh, the kind of the, the ways that the days work there. So uh, we teach both men and women together uh, in the mornings, and that would go, uh, I, I, would, I would do the morning teaching, and that would go until about 2 p.m. each day. And then, um, and then at that point we would break, they'd have a couple hour break, and uh, feed everybody. Uh, the Vianas and I would, at that point, would start heading back towards town, uh, heading back towards their house. Um, and, then, uh, and then after they had their lunch break, the teaching would resume with John and Maria. And I love the way they structured this. I thought this was, was just so sharp. So uh, they had manuals for everybody, uh, kind of a pastor manual, if you will. And, uh, and these took them through kind of basic Christian doctrine, and they just kind of reviewed with them the basics of the faith, made sure that those things were solid, that the foundation was really there. And then kind of almost like a policy and procedure manual for the church and expectations for their churches, for them as pastors. So that's what they would do in the later afternoon and into the evening uh, after, uh, after our part was done. Um, one day we got to do some baptisms, uh, 41 to be exact. So uh, they invited me to be part of this as well. A couple pictures of these, but that's the baptismal. Uh, and we've got, um, they have robes for us. Uh, the pastors wear a robe as they baptize, and then you'll see in the next picture the folks being baptized wear a robe too. Um, you see the Life Covenant Church on, the, on their robes. It's, it's amazing driving around in Mozambique and seeing all these churches that say Life Covenant Church. It's, it's a real trip. Um, this, uh, this precious young woman, her name is Shona. She's a close family friend of John and Maria, close friends with their adult children. And she was baptized this day, too. And you can just see the tears on her face. It was a, a really meaningful time for her and for the whole family. So that was, that was really, really special. Uh, that night, I uh, took John and Maria and Boise out for a lavish dinner. So this was really fun, too. Um, I had a huge seafood platter. They, they have wonderful seafood there, wonderful food in general. Uh, the, the locals, most of them can't afford to eat a lot of the really good food that they have there. But uh, we splurged on John Maria and just kind of set out a feast for them one night, which was wonderful. It cost like $150 American to feed them and the Vianas and for us to eat really, really well. It was terrific. Uh, the final morning, uh, we, uh, this was Thursday morning out there, we gave the pastors their Bibles. They were thrilled to receive these. Uh, the audio Bible, sort of the way that these work is, uh, it's a box about yay big, uh, it's solar powered and also has like a hand crank. So if you don't have sun, you can still use these things and you don't need electricity, uh, which is good because a lot of our churches do not have access to electricity. So they can crank these things up and it's a, an audio Bible in Portuguese and then in two or three of the tribal languages that are most common there as well. 
And so it allows uh, both pastors and churches to hear the scriptures in their own language, which is, is just really fabulous. And because much of the population there is illiterate, uh, it being an audio Bible is really an advantage there too, including many of our pastors don't read also. So being able to give them a Bible that's an audio Bible, it's a huge deal. So, um, so we gave them those, that was really, really great. And then had a, a beautiful communion service with them on uh, that Thursday morning. Uh, and then um, <laughs> prayed a blessing over them, ran inside, changed back into civilian clothing and they whisked me off to the airport and uh, started the, the journey back. But I, I think we do have a little video of the communion service too, just to give you one more feel of what worship there is like. So that's, uh, that's our people. They're in Mozambique, friends. Um, well, let me, uh, let me move us towards some of the takeaways from this trip. So you guys like that? Yeah. Some good stuff, isn't it? <laughs> I uh, hope it kind of gives you a little bit of a feel for what it's like there and what we have the privilege of being connected to. So a couple of takeaways that I want to share with you. And, these were uh, particularly things that I was feeling, but I think they, they do have a lot of import for us as well as we consider what it means for us to be a, a global church and what it means for us to be good partners to our brothers and sisters overseas. So the first thing I would say is this, it's recognizing one's power and using it well. So uh, all that fuss that they make over me uh, the, the procession, the, the banners, uh, the kids singing, the gifts, I mean, all, all the stuff. Uh, there are fun pictures to show you, and so that's part of it, but, but there's some intentionality in this too. Uh, there is a tremendous power uh, that, that I have and collectively that we have as Americans and particularly as white Americans in Africa. Uh, there's a tremendous power there because there's, there's a deference culturally to Americans and, and a deference to people and authority and, um, and pastors there are regarded as, as a very respected authority. So uh, knowing all this, it means that whether I want it or not, whether we want it or not, uh, I have and we have tremendous power when we're there. And um, they see us as, as being the experts, you know, as having resources, having knowledge, being educated. Uh, we have money, of course. All of this kind of let, lends itself to this. And then that added layer for me as a pastor uh, who they look at, they look at me as the leader over this entire movement, uh, which is, it's an honor, of course, but it's also, it's pretty uncomfortable as you can probably imagine. Um, Pastor John over there, he refers to me when he's introducing me or referring to me uh, to the other pastors. They refer to me as the Grand Pastor Presidente. <laughs> um, uh, Alex and Melanie, they, they have joked that I am the Pope of Mozambique. <laughs> and, uh, and my wife and kids like to tell me I'm actually the David Hasselhoff of Mozambique. So. Um, and so all this, you know, all this is kind of happening there around me. And, and there's this part of me that wants to stand up and just be like, hey, just stop everything, everybody. Listen, I'm not that big a deal. 
ask anybody in my church back home. I am not that big of a deal. Uh, but like it or not, that power is there. So the question for me, the question for us becomes, what do you do with it? When you become aware of uh, the existence of power, what do you do with it? Uh, this is Jesus in Mark chapter 10. I think it's very apropos for what we're speaking about here. It says, Jesus called his disciples together. And he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is Jesus' recipe for dealing with power, right? Recognizing that we have it and then deciding, okay, how do I use this once I discover that I have it? And the short answer for Jesus is if you have power, use that not to benefit yourself, but you use that to serve other people. If you have power, it's not for your own aggrandizement, it's not for uh, your own status, it's not for your own gain. If you have power, you are to use that to serve other people, and Jesus is the ultimate model of that, who had all power. And he comes not to be served in light of that, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, for some, uh, sometimes when we become aware of having power and we start to feel sort of the danger of that and the discomfort of that, sometimes our reaction is to try to give it away, to try to divest ourselves of power. And certainly that's part of what we try to do in Mozambique is we're trying to empower others to be the ones who lead. However, it takes power to empower. Uh, divestiture doesn't work in and of itself as a, as a total strategy. But serving others, using Using your power for others is, is the way that Jesus tells us to think about this. So um, a couple ways that we've, we've attempted to do this and we continue to is uh, making a real effort not to impose ourselves and to impose our ideas of what ministry there needs to look like and instead really taking a posture of deference to the leaders that are on the ground the leaders who live in that place, the leaders who grew up in this culture, the ones who understand what life in Mozambique is like. Instead of trying to import and impose a Western model of ministry on them, to really ask the question of them, what do you feel it looks like to have a biblically faithful way of ministry here in Mozambique? And then support them in that. So we, we led with that in 2006. And, and I, I still remember sitting in a conference room with, with uh, probably a dozen Mozambican leaders, John and Maria among them. At that point, we didn't really know them. Uh, they were just kind of part of this group that we found ourselves with. And, and saying to them, this is our vision, right? They were asking, what is it you want to do in Mozambique? And us saying back to them, what we hope to do is support Mozambican leaders. We want you to have the vision and we want to support that vision. And, uh, and, and there was shock in the room at our saying that. Uh, it's not typically the way that it goes. Uh, one of our, our long-term goals with the Mozambican church there that 
actually already happened uh, much sooner than we expected it would, but that was for them to become their own denomination. So uh, right now everything there is, is literally named Life Covenant Church. Uh, but the, the goal has been to make it so that they are the Covenant Church of Mozambique. And they are that. That, that happened in 2019. They are their own denomination. They don't report to us. Uh, we are their friends. And we support them and we partner with them in what they do. Uh, but they are actually the ones who have authority over what is happening there. Um, and, and by the way, this, having this sort of a posture, they notice this. This is a big deal to them. Uh, even in, in introducing me in the conference, um, it, it was really significant. John was talking about who I was and he's, he's giving like credentials and you know, all that sort of normal introduction stuff. And then, then he says this. He says, you know, when I visited America a few years ago, I went to Pastor Tim's house. And everybody's all, oh. <laughs> because you, you don't go to the house of somebody who's considered higher in rank or higher in authority in that culture. You don't do that. And everybody's like, oh, really? Most of them know it. There's pictures. And the pictures have circulated widely. But still, they, they do the gasp. And then um, and he says, and I had dinner at Pastor Tim's house. And everybody goes, oh. And then, uh, and then he, says, he says, I'm not kidding. When I was in Pastor Tim's church, he served food to people. And, and I remember this because he said something about it at the time. But uh, they were here when we were doing a pig roast. And I happened to be walking past the kitchen as the pig was being served. And people were in line. And I just wanted to say hi to everybody. And so I pulled up behind the counter and started putting food on people's plates. But for John and Maria, like they stopped. And they were like, we never see this. In Mozambique, if you're a pastor, you don't serve. Other people serve you. And so that, that's been the posture that we've tried to take in our relationship with the Mozambicans. It turned out, I didn't know it would be this way, but it's had a really important modeling effect. And they tell stories about it now. Pastor Tim takes out the trash. You know, <laughs> these things that, that are really stunning for them, but, but make, a, uh, make a big difference there. Um, and then for me, while I'm there, the way that I speak about John and Maria, right? Knowing I have power, okay, how can I use this to their benefit? So I sing the praises of John and Maria, and Alex and Melanie as well. Uh, but being Americans, they get a lot of praise as it is. But I sing the praises of John and Maria. Uh, Pastor Joanna, right? When, when uh, I was able to gush on them a bit about that and and you know, just say to the church there, you guys are so blessed. You know, you have another female pastor here. Do you know that in the New Testament church, there were female leaders in the church then too? Have you ever heard of Phoebe? You know, I talk about Phoebe. Have you heard of Priscilla? And I talk about Priscilla, and I talk about Junia. And, and again, the women are whooping it up. They're very excited about this. But, but that is something that I can do in that moment, right? Because I have power. I can speak to some of the things that are more difficult for them to speak about. Marriage being another one of those. It's very difficult for them to talk about marriage there, about Christian marriage. It's a, a heavily male-dominated society uh, to the point where if, if you think about maybe, think about maybe a, a marriage that you know that just feels like super lopsided, male-dominant here in America, 20 bucks says that marriage you're thinking of is 
an improvement compared to the average marriage in Mozambique. Uh, there's, there's a lot of work we have to do in that area. But I can speak to that because I, I come in with a bit of power. So it makes sense? So this is, uh, this is one of those things that we want to take tremendous care with. Uh, I have to recognize that it, it, if I'm brainstorming, if I'm thinking out loud and I make a suggestion, I have to be very, very careful because they could take that and say, okay, this is what we have to do. Uh, that's the one side of it. But the other side, to be very strategic and saying, okay, the power that we've been given, how can we use that for good here? That's number one. Number two, how much environment influences our sins? Influence the things that we struggle with as well as the things that we are strong at. And we had a really fun dynamic, John and myself, as, uh, as the week went on. So I'd be up there and I'd be teaching and I'd be reading from a passage and talking about it. And, uh, and John and Alex and Melanie are sitting on the stage behind me there. And, uh, uh, and I, I could hear John behind me if I was talking about something that he found very exciting. I can hear him in the background. Right? He's, he's a very verbal processor, and so there's yes, and there's amens, and all this stuff behind me. And then at some point, inevitably, John would get super excited, and he'd pop up and, uh, and say, Pastor Tim, Pastor Tim, con licencia, and he'd grab the microphone, and he would just go and, uh, and just do his thing. And, and it, was, it was actually it was really cool, because I can talk about things in the general, but there's specific nuances in that culture that I don't know that John does. And so he would get up in those moments and it was kind of like I'd tee it up for him and he'd just crush it, you know. Um, and uh, it was super, super fun. But one of the things that was really striking to me was I was, was reading through a passage in Colossians and it's talking about Christian virtues and what they look like and then talking about uh, some of the deeds of the flesh and what those look like. And it was really interesting seeing how the things that we tend to focus on here in America were so much different than the things they do in Mozambique. So for instance, um, you know, I, I won't read you the passage, but uh, there's a number of passages like this where they talk about different sin issues that the churches are dealing with. When we read those, uh, inevitably we kind of pause on things like sexual immorality, right? Because as we live in a sex-saturated culture and that's a very difficult issue for us. Uh, greed, you know, when Doug and I, we always make a point, if greed is anywhere in the passage, like we stop there because this is an issue for us. We usually don't even know that we are being greedy when we are being greedy. It's that, that innate to us here. Gossip would be another one. For them, the two biggest issues that we came across in the passage we're talking about are lying and stealing. I can't remember the last time that I, I said to myself, you know, we really need a good sermon on stealing. Right? It's like everybody, but everybody, culturally speaking, knows that's a bad thing. Right? Not that it's not a temptation, perhaps, but like there's no question around it. You can be like 100% pagan and you're like, ooh, stealing, ooh, that's terrible. Who does that? You know, and lying too. And, but, but you see, for them, these are major issues, including for the pastors. And and for them, in that culture, once you start to unpack it, it makes a lot of sense, right? If you've been under colonial rule for 600 years and you've known nothing but poverty, generation after generation after generation after generation, you've got a lot of grace for people who steal stuff. You kind of get it, and you're like, okay. 
yeah, I know that's not right, but we can work with that, right? Or lying. Strongly shame-based culture, uh, most of the time you would rather die than lose face and to be shown to be somehow uh, a failure or losing or whatever the case might be, to lose status. Uh, and so you lie to make yourself look better than you are. Those are some of the chief temptations for them as a culture. Uh, and it, it's always helpful, I know many of you have experienced this, but it's always helpful when you step into another culture and you're able to see the world through those people's eyes, one of the things it does for you is it helps you see your own culture better too. Right, there's an expression that the fish is the last one to discover the water. Well, as American Christians, we're the last ones to discover the way that our culture influences our sins. And sometimes taking a step out of the culture, you get to see those things more clearly. And I think it's a great question that I'd invite you to be asking this morning, or what are the ways that my culture influences me where something that I know is wrong becomes, ah, well, we get that. Uh, it's understandable, and we dismiss. Uh, there's uh, the impact of our culture on this way is, is more than we would guess that it is. Uh, made me think of this scripture in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes this, he says, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Right? We tend to think of ourselves as autonomous, as free thinkers, I'm not influenced by others, I just do my thing and that's my thing. And the New Testament reminds us in many ways, this being one of them, actually, no. We are a lot more easily influenced than we think by the people we have around us, by the culture in which we swim. These are the things that influence. It's a challenge for this morning. Be thinking about, be praying about, where are the areas where I know scripture says this, but I give myself a pass because culture says this. That's two. Third one, the little things matter. The little things matter, sometimes a lot. It sounds super cliche, sounds kind of trite, but it's so true, and I got such a powerful reminder of this on this trip. Uh, so uh, that first morning, right, come into the church service with the processional, the kids, and the choir, and all this, and I'm sitting up there on the stage, and I'm looking around, they have these different banners. And Melanie points out to me, look, there's a Matthew 6.33 banner. Uh, if, if you don't know this, um, uh, since the time I started walking with Christ in college, Matthew 6.33 has kind of been the defining verse of my life. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. In other words, put God first, and the other things are going to take care of themselves. So they've got this banner with Matthew 6.33, and I was like, oh, you know, how sweet because I was coming, they put up a Matthew 6.33 banner. And I came to find out, no, 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 that's, that's part of their normal church service, is that verse. And uh, Maria got up sometime during that morning and she started talking about Matthew 6.33. And she said, I remember in 2006 when we first met Pastor Tim and others from Life Covenant Church, he shared an encouragement with us from Matthew 6.33. I have no memory of this, by the way. So he shared this encouragement with us from Matthew 6.33. 
And John and I were at this pivotal point. It was a crossroads. They were trying to figure out some things about their future and what was happening next. And I shared this word that I don't even remember and it ended up being pivotal for them. And it's become part of the life of their movement and part of the life of their church. Uh, it's a little thing. So little that I, I don't remember it. Uh, a few minutes later, John got up and he was talking about that same trip and, and he, said, um, he said, one of the days that we were together, we asked Pastor Tim to give a sermon. And he preached about Jesus touching the leper. And I was like, oh, I remember that one, right? That moment I did remember. And, and it was a little hazy, but I was like, okay, yeah. 16 years ago, but that happened. Um, and then he proceeded to give the sermon. And I... I mean, I was just stunned. I was stunned, but, but he was talking about this had a huge impact on us. And that was when we knew that maybe these were some Americans that God was calling us to work with. Uh, who knew? Who knew? The smallest of things. These weren't, these weren't big plans. I mean, this was just, just showing up and being present in the moment and saying something in the moment. And God was doing something behind the scenes where our small actions intersected with their deep needs. And God used this as a really pivotal moment in launching this movement. Paul in Galatians 6 says, let us not become tired of doing good. At the right time, we'll gather a crop if we don't give up. And I don't know about you, but when I'm tired, I think sometimes it's the little things that are the first to go, right? It's, uh, it's that bit of help that your child needs. It's that person you see in the grocery store who needs help with that thing. It's the person you pass on the street holding the signs and they need food. It's, it's, it's these little things. And when I'm tired, it's just like, oh, I just don't have it right now. But the little things, friends, they matter. They matter. And if you think about it, life is about 99% the little things. It is not every day that we get the opportunity to do something huge. But every single day, there are little things we can do. Do the next right thing, because the small things, they end up really mattering. Finally, number four, and that's, it's this, it's look for God to be the one who gives the vision. Uh, now, we shared with you this morning and before the trip that you know, we're going over there to meet with leaders from our 300 churches, which on its face is unbelievable. I mean, it's absolutely a miracle to think that 19 years ago, we were 20 believers sitting in my living room, and now we're talking about seven churches planted here in the US and more than 300 in Mozambique. Uh, and, and we were praying at that time as we continue to pray now that God would use us in planting a thousand churches around the world. So I'm on my way out there, right? I forget which airport I was in, but check my email as I'm walking through an airport and get an email from Melanie. And for them, it was Thursday night. And, uh, and she says, hey, be praying for us. Things are kind of crazy here. 
we've got more people showing up than we were expecting. We didn't think they'd be here until Friday. And it's like, okay, cool. Um, and she said, we have a lot of people that we don't know and churches that we didn't know about, which probably sounds really weird, right? How can you have churches you don't know about? But given the logistics of Mozambique and some of the geographical challenges and communication challenges, the way we structured it is we have these regional leaders and they are authorized as people are ready to send them out to start new churches. And then we kind of come along on the back end and vet those people and make sure that they're orthodox and you know all of the things. But the churches start sometimes before we are aware of them and are able to make them official. So Thursday night, they're, uh, they're going, okay, we've, we've got more people here and more churches than we were expecting. By the time everybody was checked in, by the end of Saturday and they had taken their little census, uh, it turns out we now have 528 churches in Mozambique. Happy tears. Um, we could not have done this. This is such a God thing. Uh, we couldn't have done this. This is the product of a ton of little decisions along the way, and a few big ones, but a ton of little decisions, and just the absolute grace of God. Um, Average church there is 30 to 50 people. So we're at a point now where when we gather every Sunday, I mean, it's 20 to 25,000 folks who are gathered and, uh, and most, most of them new believers. Um, a couple of the things along the way. And I, I just want to give you a bit of a timeline because, again, it's about God giving the vision, not about us importing what we think we want God to do. Uh, but really waiting on him at each, each step along the way. When we first started this church, and, and a few of you were there, you know, that our very first meeting in our living room, uh, but one of the things we said is, is we don't want to make a big deal of building big churches. We want to build big Christians. Our goal is to help people walk close to Jesus. And if God blesses us with growth, then we're praying that that's expressed primarily through planting more churches, not through becoming a bigger and bigger church. That was never our goal, never our focus, but that ended up being a really pivotal decision. Uh, we started praying that first day that God would allow us to plant a thousand churches around the world. Um, it seemed crazy then, it feels a little less crazy now. Um, but God gave us that. And we wondered, you know, is this us being grandiose? Are we just being weird? I don't think so. We sought God, and this is how he led us. Uh, we prayed as we considered what we wanted a global ministry to look like for us. We prayed uh, that God would lead us to one country where we could make a 20-year commitment, right? Uh, we'll keep going after 20 years, don't worry about it. But um, where we could make a 20-year commitment and uh, it, it just seemed, it seemed like the right move, right? We're not going to be a huge church. We're not going to have a ton of money to throw around. How can we make it count? We prayed, and God led us through a series of events to Mozambique. 
Meanwhile, God's working in John and Maria, right? And they're having a similar vision brewing in them in Mozambique. We've never met at this point, but God is giving them similar dreams about a ministry in Mozambique as well. A bunch of us jump on a plane. Uh, they are among the people that we meet, and God just gives this really special bond between them and us, particularly them and the Vianas, who are part of that first trip. And the Vianas made a decision to really nurture that relationship until the church collectively was ready to come along with. Another crucial decision along the way, we sought God and the Vianas ended up thinking God was calling them to be missionaries. That wasn't part of the plan, right? They didn't come into this church thinking that's what God was going to do. But he called them and they were obedient. And they, they sold the family business and Mel went to seminary and off they went, uh, living now in Mozambique with their boys. Uh, there's been a global team here that's been incredibly faithful and has worked so hard. Uh, Tony currently leads that. We've had a couple of great leaders uh, before him as well, and we've had a host of great team members who have worked their tails off to keep this thing going and going strong. Uh, a number of you here have, have made the journey to Mozambique, and that counts. Man, it is so encouraging to them when they're able to have us there in person. Uh, it's, it's another decision that God has just really blessed and really, on, uh, really honored. And, and this is no small thing, but, I mean, friends, you're a church who has been massively invested in this. Um, you know, I, I was speaking a few weeks ago at a, a missions conference, and they, they were asking, you know, what does mission participation look like in your church? And I was able to say, it's kind of everybody. I mean, almost every person in our church sponsors a child or a pastor in Mozambique. You are a church that is all in, and it has given tens and tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to the ministry there. God is using that. I don't know if that feels like a big thing for you in the moment or if it just feels small, but let me tell you, it is a big thing. God is doing amazing things around the world. And I think it is among the highest privileges that any of us will ever experience in life that he has allowed us to participate in his good work in Mozambique. So thank you. To all of you, thank you, LifeCov, for just being so all in on this. Uh, thank you, we want to say this morning too, thank you to Alex and Melanie, John and Maria. Thank you, Josh and Joey, these great boys growing up on the mission field there. Thank you. And thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let me pray for us and uh, uh, we'll land this plane here.